to you. Good morning. As we begin this morning, I'd like for us to pray this prayer on the screen. This is uh, my favorite 16th century prayer. This is a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer by um, Archbishop Thomas Cramner. Let's pray this prayer together. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. How many of y'all came to the Mary Flo Ridley talk last month? Raise your hand. Last month, Mary Flo Ridley was here at Grace and gave an excellent talk called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. And one of the things that Mary Flo shared was how awkward it can be to talk to our kids about the basics of human anatomy, sexual intercourse, and reproduction. But by sharing her experience as a parent, and uh, walking us through how she learned to communicate effectively with her children. She gave us a template to explain sex in a very simple, practical, and biblical way. It was really, really helpful um, talk about a really, really important subject. And that talk's available Um, on our website if you're interested in listening to that talk. I really want to commend that to you. Well, this morning, um, we continue our message series in the Gospel of John. And as important as it is to have honest, appropriate, biblical conversations about physical birth, it's equally important to have honest, appropriate biblical conversations about spiritual birth. Not knowing, not teaching God's design for spiritual reproduction leads to all kinds of spiritual confusion and malpractice. And as much of a mess as our culture is making with God's design for gender and marriage and reproduction, so much more our culture is making a mess of God's design for the necessity of spiritual birth that results in repentance and faith. And the devil has sown so many lies about the priority and the necessity of being born again that it's a taboo conversation in our culture. And at the very best, it's an uninformed and awkward conversation in the church. But not today. Not today. Last week, we discovered how Jesus is the life light. And today, John tells us how we become children of God. And so the big idea this morning is, what does it take to become a child of God? This is John's spiritual sex talk. It's his testimony 
of how God makes spiritual children, of how we come into the kingdom of God and the family of God. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to John chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Uh, I hope you brought your Bible with you. If you did not bring a Bible with you, um, there are blue Bibles on your row. There are also extra blue Bibles at the back of the sanctuary. I really want us, as we go through the Gospel of John, to go through the Gospel of John, to, John together here on Sunday mornings with an open Bible and with something to write with. Did, did everybody bring their journal this morning? I hope maybe you brought a journal with you as well. Well done. Well done. Also, if you don't have a Bible and you want one of those blue Bibles, please take one of those blue Bibles with you. Um, in your blue Bible, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, is on page 886. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These are two of the most glorious scripture verses in the whole Bible. Here John is teaching us the truth. In order to become a child of God, something radical has got to happen to us. Something so radical that it's hard for our minds, it's hard for our hearts to really comprehend. It's so radical that the only way to even begin to analogize it is with physical birth. What John is saying is that in order to become a child of God, we must be spiritually reborn. I think what that does is it raises a question. Whoa, 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 wait. Aren't we all children of God? I mean, that's what, that's what the culture says. That's the songs that we kind of hear and learn, that we're, we're all children of God. But the reality is, is that the Scripture doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't teach that. None of the apostles teach that. That is not the faith that has been passed down to us. The scriptures are clear that we are creatures of God, but we are not children of God. In other words, all people are God's creation, and God loves each and every single person that he creates. But it's only those who are born again that are called his children. And why is that? The reason for that is the problem. It's the problem that John is beginning to address here in chapter 1, but he will continue to uh, testify to how Jesus addresses this promise throughout the rest, this problem throughout the rest of his gospel. The problem is that we're spiritually dead. There is no life in us. And we inherited this spiritual death from Adam's disobedience in the garden. And so Jesus and all the scriptures and the apostolic faith that's been handed down to us teaches us that without new birth, without being spiritually reborn, we're not children of God. We're actually children of disobedience and wrath. And we follow and obey the devil who started Adam and Eve following him and listening to his lies as well. And that it's actually the influence of the devil that's at work in our hearts when we refuse to follow and obey 
God. That's not an easy truth to hear, and yet it is the truth that we must know in order to appreciate how God speaks into that reality and pulls us out of it for his glory and our freedom. And I, want, I don't want you to hear me saying this. I want you to see what the word of God says. And so I want to encourage you to uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. In your blue Bible, that's on page 976. Paul is writing to um, the believers in Ephesus, and he's trying to help them understand this radical thing that has happened in their life as a result of the gospel. And so he so succinctly says it this way. You were dead. This isn't a princess bride mostly dead. Like this is all dead, completely dead, as in there's no life within you. You were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work, the spirit of uh, independent spirit and disobedient spirit, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the bad news. It's the reality of our spiritual condition. And it's an understanding this bad news that makes the good news so good. So how is it that we come out of wrath and into blessing? How is it that we come out of darkness and into life, out of sin and into righteousness, out of error and into truth, out of being outside of God's family and a precious, dearly loved child in God's family and member of his household? How is it that we're born again? Are we spiritually reborn by some means of our own? The answer is no. Religion does not make us children of God. Religion is by definition what we do to make God happy with us, what we do to please God, what we do in and of ourselves to somehow merit God's acceptance and approval of that. And John is testifying that we do not become children of God because of anything that we inherit or desire or merit. So what he's saying here is that we don't become children of God because our grandmother loved Jesus and read her Bible and and prayed every day. All those things are great. But we don't become children of God because someone in our family was a great follower of Jesus or a pastor or a missionary or anything else. That's not how we become children of God. And we don't become children of God because we uh, got a kick out of that retreat. Or we were moved to tears by that talk. Or we, we had all the feels during that worship set. That doesn't make us children of God. And we don't become children of God because we're determined to become children of God, because we're determined to be a Christian or because we're determined to be a better Christian. 
That's not how it works. And it's really challenging for us, particularly as Americans, because this is counterintuitive to how we are raised as Westerners, particularly in this country. It's challenging because this is antithetical to the American dream. Right? The culture that we're born into, the culture that we grow up into, the American dream culture, it says that it doesn't matter what your status in life is. It doesn't matter how lowly your position or how little money you have or how little opportunity you have. What the American dream says is that no matter what your position in life, you can always increase your position. And so we do. And we, we start going for the gold stars and then we start trying to get the GPA so that we can do well on the test and get into a better college so that we can have a better job, so that we can work harder and increase our position so that we can get more money, so that we can buy more stuff, thinking that that's gonna make us happier. And it doesn't matter where we came from and we, we can do whatever we want. We can be all that we can be. We can have it our way. That's the American dream. And the reality is, is that it does not work this way with God. It does not work this way in the kingdom of God. Whoops. That's not how we become a child of God. In the kingdom of God, there's no amount of knowledge. There's no amount of higher moral living. There's no amount of worship. There's no more leadership or more service or anything that we can do to earn the right to become a child of God. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps into the family of God. We can't claim a position as God's child. It doesn't matter who we are or how much we know or what we do. We are not entitled to spiritual life. The American dream says that we're, we have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is, we do not have inalienable rights in the kingdom of God. We do not. Only Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. We're not entitled to it. It is a gift. So spiritual birth isn't something that we do. It's not something that we can take into our own hands. We don't have any initiative. And apart from the grace of God, we don't even have the desire. Why? Because we're dead. We're dead. And dead, dead people don't participate in something. I just, I just want to encourage you this week as your first journal reflection. Journal around, around this thought. Pray, reflect, search the scriptures, write, draw. In what ways do you try to earn your place in God's family? And when you're trying to earn your place in God's family, how does that feel? And when you're trying to earn or deserve your place in God's family, how's that working out for you? Journal on that this week. So how are we spiritually reborn? So, Following Jesus' teaching, we're going to see this throughout the rest of the gospel. 
what John begins to do is he begins to use the imagery of physical birth to explain the reality of spiritual rebirth. Okay, and what he's doing is he's clearly showing where the initiative in spiritual rebirth lies. Let me give you an example. When Ron and Vicki decided to have a second child, hoping and praying that it was a son, I wasn't there. I don't have any memory of that decision. I don't, I don't have any memory of actually asking them if I could be their child or just showing up and saying, hey, I'm your child now. I, that, that was all them. That was their initiative. And I know because they've told me they wanted me. They thought of me. And at growing up, they would say things like, Matt, before you were born, when you were still a twinkle in our eye, this happened. But I didn't have anything to do with my physical life. I didn't have anything to do with my physical conception. This is what John is getting at. This is what the gospel teaches. Let me, let me flip it and share it from a different perspective, a father's perspective. I didn't have, or Ben didn't have any knowledge or he didn't ask Amanda and I to come into the world. Like this is a picture of Ben, like day one. Any cute? Now, Amanda and I thought of him, we wanted him, we prayed for him. But bringing Ben into the world and making him our son with God was our decision. That's about day three in the hospital. And, and as you, as you, I mean, as I look at these, like as a, as a dad, like my heart is just filled with, with love and care. I would do absolutely anything for that kid. Anything, because I love him, because he's my son. He just kept getting cuter. <laughs> this is Susanna, my daughter, day one, my beautiful, precious daughter. Whom I'm, I'm convinced I'm going to have to fend off and beat up some young men someday because I would, I would do anything to protect her and the life that she's been given, the life that I helped create. She didn't choose that life. She didn't, wasn't entitled to that life. With God's help, we made the decision to bring her into the world. You notice there's the same rocking chair, same hospital. Uh, I don't know if it was the same room or not. But uh, look how precious she is. She, she keeps getting cuter as well. I would do anything for that girl. I love her. She is so dear and precious to me. This is Barrett. This is day one for Barrett. And uh, he was born in Arkansas. And so our moms took dirt uh, from the lake house in Texas and put it in that Texas bank bag. And so when we went to the hospital to uh, deliver Barrett, we put that Texas bank bag underneath the table so that Barrett would be born over Texas soil. <laughs> it, was very, it was very important to us. But uh, this, is day, this is day two or three. And, and the personality really hasn't changed. Um, and uh, he, uh, he keeps getting cuter, fortunately less slobbery. 
um, but, they, but they grow up. These are, these are my children that I dreamt about, that I wanted, that I desired, even before they were conceived, but that I brought into the world with God's help. The point is this, that when it comes to our spiritual life, it's only Jesus who can give it to us. Only Jesus can give us spiritual life. Just as we had no part in the conception of our natural lives, we have no part in the conception of our spiritual lives. The new birth refers to something that's done to us, not something we do. We don't make the new birth happen. God makes it happen. It happens to us, not by us. Now, let me, let me break this down a little bit. This happens um, spiritually because um, the seed by which God gives us life is the word. The seed by which God gives us life is the word. It's the seed of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit plants the seed of the gospel within our hearts. Our hearts are the, where life resides. The scripture talks about our hearts is where uh, life exists. And so the Holy Spirit plants the seed of the gospel at the center of our lives. And as a result of the Spirit of God fertilizing the word of God, new spiritual life is created. I'm like the Mary Flo Ridley of spiritual reproduction here. What the scriptures say is that we become partakers of the divine nature. That it's not an improvement of our old nature, it's the creation of a new nature. Now again, Paul addresses this very succinctly in his letter to the church. I wanna go back and look at what we just read. Here's the bad news. We were dead and the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, like the rest of humankind, the bad news that makes the good news so good. And verses four and five, the apostle Paul reminds us of the good news, but, and every time we see a but in the scriptures, some big radical transition is occurring, but God, not me, not you, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, made us alive. God made us alive together with Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that fertilizes the seed of the gospel of our hearts and raises us from the dead. It is by grace that we have been saved. That's good news. It takes all the pressure off. It takes all the burden off. 
We don't do it. He does it. That is what grace is all about. He does it because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us and we matter to him and he's known before the foundations of the world that he was gonna do it. So here's a second journal thought or activity this week. As you think about this, as you contemplate this, would you write, would you doodle, would you pray? And would you, just, would you just write, maybe just in one page, the story of how God brought you into his family through Christ? What a great, radical, beautiful story that that is. But what did it feel like? How did you see God's hand in your life? And as you're thinking about that, and as you're reflecting on that, and as you begin to write your story, if it, if it comes up that, gosh, you know, I'm not sure I am a child of God. Praise God. If it comes up, you know, I'm not sure I am. Maybe I'm not, but I want to be. That is a testimony that the, the gospel has been planted in your heart, and that's the sign that the Holy Spirit is fertilizing that and giving you new life because you have the desire And that desire can only be had once you're spiritually born again. You may be thinking this morning, I'm not sure. Well, this morning could be your spiritual birthday. Don't leave here without knowing for sure that you know God's love for you and that in Christ, you are his precious and dearly loved child. Go to one of the prayer teams during communion. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Brian. We want to pray for you because we want to make sure that you know that you are a child of God and a member of his household and a dear and precious son or daughter in Christ. So when the seed of the gospel comes into our heart and the spirit fertilizes the gospel and new life begins, how do we live in grateful response? When we're born again, what happens is that faith in Jesus is awakened. It's not that faith leads to new birth. It's that new birth leads to faith. So only by being born again by God's grace is faith in Christ possible. And, and this is how John describes it in his first pastoral letter, 1 John 5, 4. And I love this because John's pastoral letters are basically him commentating on his gospel. So this is John on John. He says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. The darkness, the the rebellion, the disobedience of God. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes that. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith our faith. God alone is responsible for our salvation. And we believe only because he first created the spiritual life within us to be able to believe. And faith is actually a fruit or a sign that we have been born again, that we have life. And so it's one of our first ways that we 
respond gratefully. We respond to our new birth, John says, by believing in Jesus. Now the question is, what do we believe? We believe Jesus is the one true God, the shaping and controlling influence of the universe, the forgiver of our sin, the healer of our souls, the redeemer of our pain and brokenness, our deliverer from death and the devil, the leader of our lives, and the only Lord and King worthy of our unconditional surrender and complete devotion. That's what we believe in this person, We believe in a person. The gospel is a person. That's who we believe in. But how do we believe? And the word that John uses here for believe is pisteo or pistis. And it's different in the Greek because um, in the English, we don't have an exact word for this. Faith is a noun. We don't have a a verb for faithing. But in the the Greek, it's one whole word. And so what John is saying that belief in Jesus is all about is it's it's comprehensive. It's with our mind. It's with our heart. It's with our hands and feet. It's an action verb. And so, so faith or believing is something that we do with our mind when we are born again, we don't lose our mind. We don't check our mind at the door. God redeems our mind. He gives us the mind of Christ. And we use our mind. And the reason that God has given us as a means of faith. But it's not just what we know or understand. It's also what we set our heart upon. And there's another aspect of belief that is in our hearts that we bet our life on it, that we set our affections on Jesus and his kingdom. And it's not just our mind and our heart and our, and our emotions and desires, but it's also our actions. That when we believe in this Jesus, who he is and what he did and what he's doing in our lives, when we bet our lives and set our heart and emotions and affections on him and his kingdom, it transforms how we live. And we begin to speak like Jesus and think like Jesus and see other people with Jesus' eyes and our hearts are moved with compassion towards people just like Jesus' heart was moved to compassion. And we love God and we love one another and that's lived out in our lives. So this idea of faith, of believing, the gospel is saying is in Jesus, the person with all of our minds, with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. It's how we love God, and we're able to love God because he first loved us in Christ, who alone gives us new life. So we respond by believing in Jesus, and we respond, John says, by receiving Jesus. And he, the initiative, again, it, it rests with the giver, but the action of the receiver is important too. And the only way that I really know how to try and illustrate what John's getting at here is with the idea of hospitality. And in John's context, in a first century context, hospitality was big, even bigger than it is in San Antonio. And it's still true in the Middle East today, but in John's context, in Jesus's context, when you invited someone to come over to your home, it was as if they were family. 
and you cleaned up and you cooked and you welcomed them and made them the priority. And you, and you made the time focus on them and center them and center on them and figure out how you could bless and build up and serve your guest and your home. And what John's getting at here is that's how it's meant to be with Jesus. When by the Holy Spirit, he takes up residence in our hearts and in, in our homes, in our lives, in our work. He, we host him everywhere that we go. And everything that we think and do and say is now realigned to him at the center and his kingdom above all else. And it transforms everything. When we host Jesus at the center of our lives. Now, my, my thought is this. What if we all became the Mary Flo Ridley's of spiritual reproduction? What if out of grateful response to the love and the mercy that God has lavished on us in Christ, that we would take that truth and in very honest, appropriate, and biblical ways, help people know the truth and live the truth and enjoy the truth? That's who we are, church. That's our commission. We have been given life not to hoard it, but to give it away. And there is no greater thing than we can do than to hold out the word of life, to scatter the seed of the gospel and pray that the Holy Spirit fertilizes that seed in people's lives. That's our calling and our commission as the people of God. And uh, this guy sitting right up here, Steve Stratton, was my young life leader. He was 26 and I was 16 and I was not a child of God. Um, But Steve started coming over to my house and uh, I remember one of the first things that he asked me as we sat in my dad's study on this brown 1970s couch. He said, "Uh, do you have a Bible? And I said, no. And he said, hold on, wait. And he he went outside uh, and in uh, his uh, cream-colored station wagon, in the back of his, um, of his station wagon was a box of Bibles. And he got this Bible out of his car, this exact one, and he brought it in, and on that brown couch, he opened up the gospel, and he began to walk me through the gospel of John. And here are my underlinings of those conversations that Steve loved me enough to want me to be a child of God. And as he shared the gospel, guess what happened? Those seeds fell on my heart. And the Holy Spirit fertilized those seeds. And I was born again. And I became a child of God. And the only reason that I'm able to love you and share the gospel with you is because someone did it with me first. And so before you leave here today, make sure you give him a hug because he's not only a brother in Christ, but he's a grandfather to you in Christ. Let's pray. Father, in your great love for us, 
as we come to the table. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts that are soft and receptive to you. That the seed of the gospel may fall on good soil and be fertilized and yield faith and much fruit for your glory. Lord, as we take the bread and the wine, convict us, convert us, and consecrate us to you until at last we experience fullness of life in your presence forever. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory. Amen.